Bigfoot Society would like to thank the following sponsors for helping make the podcast possible. The Singular Fortean Society has combined open and honest paranormal investigation and journalism since 2016. Visit the Society at Singular Fortean for all the latest weird news and more. Come with us and investigate the impossible. Welcome to the Bigfoot Society Clubhouse, where we discuss a new or old topic in cryptozoology every week. Just hang out and have a good time. I do need to let you know that by hanging out with us on stage and talking in the discussion, you are giving consent to uh, being recorded, which will be used in a future Bigfoot Society podcast, uh, YouTube video, could be anything that you could imagine coming down the pipeline. Uh, if you're not comfortable with that, uh, please go ahead and move on down to the audience. Uh, sit back, relax, have a good time. Again, thanks to all for uh, hanging out. And, uh, let's just have a good time. Hey, awesome. So uh, this is uh, your host, Jeremiah, from the Bigfoot Society podcast. And tonight during uh, Bigfoot Society Clubhouse, we are going to be talking about uh, little humanoid cryptids. Uh, that was the a topic suggestion by Sarah, I believe. And uh, it's going to get uh, pretty interesting. I'm excited for it. But I'm going to start out by uh, talking about the Hopkinsville goblins. So I'm going to do kind of a, a basic overview. And uh, anyone who has stuff to add after me, feel free to add, of course. But so um, these guys were, were kind of interesting. So this happened uh, near the area of Hopkinsville, Kentucky, in the year 1955. Um, the story goes that on the evening of August 21st, five adults and seven children claimed to see these small creatures, and they, they were coming out from a spaceship, but they were, more importantly, attacking their farmhouse, and uh, the people inside the farmhouse had been holding them off with gunfire for nearly four hours. Uh, specifically... Uh, Elmer Sutton and Billy Ray T Taylor claimed that they were shooting at least 12 to 15 short, dark figures popping up at doorways or peering into their windows, which that alone is just a, a super creepy uh, thing to think about. Um, the description of the creatures were being two to four feet tall, having large pointed ears, uh, claw-like hands, eyes that glowed yellow, and having spindly legs, as some people think maybe it was a goblin, maybe a, a cave creature. There's plenty of caves down in the Kentucky area. Maybe it was a space creature. We don't know. Um, there's even some skeptics that say maybe it was just a bunch of great horned owls. Uh, this, to me, seems rather unlikely that there was a group of great horned owls just going nuts on people, but Hey, maybe weirder things have happened. Um, this, of course, uh, you've probably heard of this account uh, from the, um, maybe from the documentary series Hellier, uh, which is a, a fun watch. I recommend that. And also, I wanted to throw a fun fact in here about the Hopkinsville Goblins. If you're a Pokemon fan, the Pokemon Sableye is actually based on the Hopkinsville Goblins. So, um, I don't know, uh, anything to, uh, to add to the, uh, the tale of the goblin guys in the, uh, on the stand with me here? No, 
Perfect, Tate. Hey, Tate, that reminds me. Chicken taquitos. There we go. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I did want to add. Go ahead, um, Lisa. So one thing that I grew up actually not too far from Hopkinsville in, in Nashville, but we used to go out to the caves in Kentucky quite a bit as kids. And I had never heard of that until, you know, much later as an adult. Um, but what I found most fascinating about it is how the adults and the children all gave extremely similar descriptions of what they looked like to the point. I mean, it wasn't a ma it couldn't have been a mass hallucination like a lot of people believed. And to have that many kids and adults all kind of saying they saw the exact same thing is is intriguing in and of itself. But the fact that they went to the police, the police came out, saw evidence of gunfire, but nothing else and kind of left. And the family that night in the middle of the night fled the house because they came back is what they said. So in the middle of the night, they just got up and left. And uh, it was said that it was because these little alien creatures came back in the night. Oh, I love that. That that's that's some good additions. And Lisa, I didn't know that that fun fact about you. What do you mind uh, actually going next? Yeah, I can awesome. go. I actually uh, found something really interesting on on the topic. It's more of a Native American heritage, um, their belief system, but it, it relates to little people of the prior mountains. And I'm not sure if any of you are, are familiar with the little people of the prior mountains, but it's uh, the prior mountains in Montana. Um, it's believed that there are these little ferocious dwarfs that live there. And it's not just there, there are actually in, in Native American belief systems, there's lots of stories and religious beliefs related to the little people um, known to most of the tribes in the West. Um, but I found the ones in Montana particularly intriguing because they actually, they believe in it so much that when they go out like if they're crossing this area, they have to leave little tributes to them so that they don't get attacked because these little, little people are vicious. And, you know, they've been known to have like sharp teeth and eat the heart out of a horse and crazy stuff, kill a full grown bull elk and carry it off, uh, even though they are only 18 inches tall. So it's all kind of fascinating but they're basically uh little teeny tiny vicious humanoid people i guess yeah that's it lisa that's do you mind uh um if the listeners don't know who you are can you share a little bit about yeah uh, sorry i forgot doing? you're good hi i'm lisa <laughs> i uh i am the creator of Cryptid Comforts. I make adorable cryptid stuffies and other nonsense. That's that's me. That was probably mo the most uh, horrifying thing I've ever heard. Uh, <laughs> that oh, and I didn't even go good. into crazy details. Oh, so. you didn't? <laughs> what, did, what did you leave out? Oh, well, okay. So I guess there was... There was a fight at one point. Let me let me check. I put I put it in my notes. Uh, yeah, there was said to be a uh, 
group of like 350 warriors that came to the mound late at night and were nearly wiped out by the ferocious little people and all of the survival survivors were crippled for life um yeah so i guess uh they carry long uh sharp arrows to uh stab people with and they're very good at distance throwing yeah they're they're not nice Ooh, that's intense that is yeah. intense all right feel free to uh pass the mic to to the next person you would like to hear lisa oh okay uh let's see alexander seemed to have some interesting things to talk about let's pass the mic over there sure thanks lisa uh, my name is Alex Petikov. I'm a filmmaker, cryptozoology researcher, YouTube channel, Sasquatch Out of the Shadows, also Small Town Monsters, Chasing Legends. Um, so my, my topic, as I mentioned in our chat, but for those that aren't familiar, uh, is the Orang Pendek. And I really like this one. I think it's a very interesting cryptid. It's more in the line of Bigfoot and those sorts of things, but it's uh, considered to be a small kind of creature. So uh, where do I start? There's just so much about it. But we'll go with, uh, we'll start out the name Orang Pendek is Indonesian for short person. And it's basically described to be the small uh, three to four foot tall hairy man-like creature said to live in Sumatra. Now, Sumatra is the sixth largest island in the world. Uh, it's the largest island in the nation of Indonesia, which is comprised of a lot of different islands, but it happens to be the largest island uh the highest point of elevation is 12,000 uh, plus feet. Population of, Indian, of of Sumatra, rather, is 58 million, 58 million plus. So it's pretty populated. But what's so interesting about it is it has some really interesting uh, terrain. It has the Karinci Seblat National Park, which is 5,000 plus square miles, over 3 million acres of very remote terrain. Now, some of the wildlife on Sumatra is really interesting. It's basically like a mini Africa, I guess, or it's like a piece of Africa that broke off and, and developed independently. They have some really awesome wildlife there. It is where uh, in Sumatra they have orangutans, which are the only place outside of Africa where there are non-human primates. So, you know, orangutans are a great ape, just like, well, gorillas and chimps. Um, and obviously humans would fit into that branch too. There are also Sumatran elephants, which are a subspecies of the Asian elephant. There are Sumatran tigers, subspecies of the tiger. There's Sumatran rhinoceros, which is a subspecies of Asian two-horned rhinoceros, also known as the hairy rhinoceros. It has like some little woolly kind of features to it. So it's got some really incredible wildlife and they all live in these jungles like the Carinci Seblot National Park. Um, so for centuries, people have told the story of this creature uh, called the Orang Pendek, and um, uh, it goes back to tribes in the area known as the Sukuanak Dalam, one of the tribes. They were, their name is actually means children of the inner forest, and they really live in some of the deeper, more impenetrable areas of the forest, and they report seeing a small creature, you know, almost human-like, but covered in fur, living out in the woods, and different from the orangutans, because they're able to differentiate these creatures, and they live out there. But what's really interesting about uh, the history of the Orang Pendek, it's not only the, the the tribes people living in the jungles or even to this day, Indonesian locals that live in these areas that report it. Uh, the Dutch colonized Indonesia and there were reports of Dutch settlers actually experiencing these things. And there was one taken by a land surveyor in 1923 called Mr. Van Heerwarden. And he said, quote, I discovered a dark and hairy creature on a branch. The sadapa was also hairy on the front of its body. The color there was a little lighter than on the back. 
The very dark hair on its head fell to just below the shoulder blades or even almost to the waist. Had it been standing, its arms would have reached to a little above its knees. They were therefore long, but its legs seemed to me rather short. I did not see its feet, but I did see some toes which were shaped in a very normal manner. There was nothing repulsive or ugly about its face, nor was it at all ape-like, end quote. So it's pretty interesting. So you have not only those stories, you have modern day stories of locals in the area seeing these things and seeing more than one. And usually they're described as being pretty elusive and trying to run away. A lot of scientists have actually looked into it, a lot of cryptozoologists, and they believe that this may be one of the, uh, you know, sort of hominid-like cryptids that may be the most provable, that there may be uh, evidence that something like the orang pendic might be discovered. There have been also, I believe, peacekeepers in the area uh, with the United Nations and other workers, you know, from other parts of the world that aren't from Indonesia that have reported seeing these things very face-to-face. There's always, there's been cryptozoologists who have looked into it as well, including uh, Richard Freeman with the, um, what is it, the UK-based Center for Fordian Zoology. Some people might have heard of Richard before. There's also Adam Davies, another British cryptozoologist who's been there multiple times, and between those groups, they found tracks, hair, they've recorded audio. So it's very similar to the Bigfoot stuff. Cliff Barrickman actually has a few of the supposed orang pendic footprints, and they're kind of like smaller looking Bigfoot prints, basically. Uh, so it's really interesting cryptid. I mean, I could go on a lot longer. There's obviously a lot more to it, but I think it's probably one that has a pretty good chance of actually being real. And one other cool thing I didn't want to mention is the the Hobbit. So there's uh, an island in Indonesia. It's not really next to Sumatra, but it's uh, called an uh, island called Flores. And in the mid-2000s, there, were dis- there was a discovery of the Homo floresiensis there, which was basically off the Homo lineage, which Homo sapiens humans were part of that, just like Neanderthals were. And uh, this species of short people were part of it as well. And and it's believed they the bones at least found there were 12 plus thousand years old. So they might have actually interacted with Homo sapiens in the area. So it's possible that you have sort of connection. But this area seems to be a hotbed of discoveries and lots of wildlife. So I wouldn't be surprised if something like the Orang Pendic turned out to be real. So yeah, that's the Orang Pendic. Definitely look into it. It is a really awesome cryptid. Um, and I think it, you know, I'd love to go look for it someday. But um, yeah, so that's that. Let's see. Hmm. I'm going to go pick Mike. Unless anyone has anything else to add about the Orang Pendic. I kind of like the talking at the end part if anyone wants to add anything i just want to say uh alex that was a amazing mini presentation on the oaring pendic uh bravo um do you want do you want to do a quick reset of the room um for anyone who just came in um when you are uh chosen next to share we're sharing about little humanoid humanoid cryptids uh, tonight and feel free to introduce who you are uh, before you share your story and uh, where people can um, uh, follow you or what you're associated with so all right and if you've chosen next you have to speak oh tate i'm just kidding <laughs> all right mike you can go ahead i'm mike uh, i'm the founder of uh, tactical bigfoot research you can find me on facebook and instagram and youtube under tactical bigfoot research I'm also the co-host of uh, Where's My Sage, and you can find us at uh, YouTube, Facebook, all your wonderful uh, podcast locations. Uh, I do uh, research in uh, mostly Bigfoot, but I also work with a psychic medium and do some paranormal investigations. Um, tonight, I'm going to be doing uh, a uh, 
Iroquois uh, cryptid, or not really a cryptid, but a, a, a creature of their uh, legend. And uh, it's a Johanga, which uh, has many different names depending on the different tribes within the Iroquois. Um, and to do it justice and not to butcher uh, any of the traditional names because I found out about these guys through one of my uh, research partners uh, who's Cherokee and has mentioned in the past that you treat them with the utmost respect or bad things will happen to you. Um, but they're also known as the... Uh, stone throwers, the stone rollers, and the drum dancers. Um, they are a little people. And uh, I'm pulling references tonight from uh, Native American Languages, uh, org, and also from uh, the American Elves book. Uh, I recently spoke with an author, uh, Greg Walter, who's done a lot of study on these, these little people, and he sent the these folks to me uh, because they are in my area of western New York. Um, so the, uh, the drum dancers are also known as little people and fruits and grains. Um, they're the guardian of the fruits and the grains though. And I'm going to butcher it. And I really don't mean to do it is the Odanes. Uh, they're half one foot tall, uh, saffron color pygmies. And they're said to be, uh, luminous golden rimmed eyes and they're sensitive to light. And, uh, they generally are considered the malevolent of their tribes. And the stone throwers or rollers are uh, carry or moves rocks in the area and take care of the waterways. And uh, it was really interesting uh, to get into this and look because in our area we have a haunted house. Some of you guys may have heard of the haunted Hinsdale house. And they have taken pictures and got some trail cam footage of some small creature up in the woods. And there's some tribute trees up there. Now, these guys are uh, a natural spirit of the Iroquois folklore. And uh, they're not supposed to be much higher than knee high. And uh, they uh, play tricks and, uh, again, might be dangerous for folks that disrespect them. And generally seen amongst the young and the older people, as well as those of uh, the uh, shamans. Um, and they protect the crops. And uh, again, the, it's, it's O-H-D-O-W-S, are uh, gnomes that live underground and keep the snakes and subterranean monsters under control. Uh, but they each have their own little uh, responsibility to the area, and I'm doing more and more research into the uh, historic and the accounts of the uh, different creatures here in our area, and it's been pretty interesting to see even our, the county lore and history of my county actually goes in to bring up some of these cryptids, uh, including their big brothers of the, uh, the stone giants. So uh, that's my little guys here are the... Uh, Joe Henga, and they're also known as Pugwajis for you guys on the other part in the Algonquin, so more to the east. Oh, so you're saying that whole time they're also known as Pugwajis? Yep. Oh, man, that's like a crazy uh, uh, 
mind explosion at the end. That's awesome. So, yeah, they originally, when we got talking about it here in the area with the, the owner, he had mentioned it was Pugwajis, and then uh, like I said my, my research partner is uh, Cherokee, and uh, he had mentioned it, and, there, and I'm going to but I butcher that. So I have to work on my, uh, my language skills. So that's why I'm going with the, the ones I've heard the most. So if anybody has anything to add on, I know Lisa had similar creatures or uh, characters. I, I want to treat them with respect. That's the big thing is what I've been told by multiple people. So, Yeah, Mike, the one I'm doing is pretty similar to what you described. Well, I guess, Greg, I will pass the torch to you. Okay, then. Um, I'm actually doing um, one on the, uh, hold on, I want to uh, make sure I get the names right. Um, okay, this is from uh, Ojibwe, Algonquin, Ottawa, Cree, Inu, Minomini, and Métis. Uh, legends. These are called the Maymayguesi. Um, I guess I'll, uh, I heard about these originally uh, listening to Mothboys of all places, and uh, yeah, they the there was a case in Toronto, which is about twenty minutes to the east of me. So this was the closest home cryptid I've heard of until that time. So uh, the Mimiguesi are a small riverbank dwelling water spirit. They are generally benign creatures, but sometimes blow canoes astray or steal things when they are not shown proper respect. In some Ojibwe traditions, Mimiguesi can only be seen by children and medicine people. In others, they can appear to anyone and may help humans who give them tobacco and other gifts. Most often, Mimiguesi are described as being child-sized and hairy with large head and a strange voice that sounds like the whine of a dragonfly. The Cree and Inu describe them as having narrow faces and some Menomini storytellers have said that they have no noses. It is sometimes said that Mimiguesi were originally created from the bark of trees. Mimiguesi are said to carve symbols on rocks and sometimes carve small canoes for themselves out of stone. Some people believe that their name comes from the Ojibwe word for hairy, Mimi, since Mimiguesi are usually described as having hairy faces and bodies. Other people believe that their name is related to the word butterfly. May uh, may I can't. I'm sorry. I don't want to uh, ruin the pronunciation of that word. So uh, it is just spelled M E M E N G W A A. Um, this this reminds me of the Pukwaji and I'm sorry, Mike, what was the name of your, your, uh, creature? 
hit the wrong button there. Johanga. Johanga. Yeah. Yeah, and there's 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 like multiple depending on if it's from the Mohawk, Tuscarora, Cayuga, or the Senecas. There's a right. little little variation, and again, I I do not butcher the uh, the pronunciation. Uh, no, I agree. Um, but you and I are both really close together in location, yeah, you know, so our our stories would be very similar. Yeah, totally. Um, these guys sound like they might have a bit of a like a hairy primate appearance to them because they're talking a lot about how hairy the face is so i'm wondering if i don't know if it's a northern adaptation or something who knows um but uh i don't know if you want to uh learn some more i got that uh, from the same uh website as as mike I believe it's nativeamericanlanguages.com and there's more stuff on like cryptid wiki and um, there's more about the cabbage town tunnel crawler from Toronto on online. Um, I'm going to pass it on now and I see uh, who do I see? Greg, can you <laughs> share uh, where people can find you as well, if you don't mind? Oh, um, if you want to find me, um, all the weird on Instagram. And yeah, that's probably the best way to, to get in touch. Cool. Um, wait, who went? Let's see here. I'm not going to ask Tate because he always wants to go last. So I'm going to see if Keith wants to go next. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, uh, well, yeah, I do want to go last. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hey, real quick before I go, I, I came in right when Alex has started. Who went before him so I don't choose them when I'm done? Uh, Keith, here's the list. That, the list of people that have gone is myself, Lisa, Alex, uh, Mike, Greg, and then you. Okay, great. Thank you so mm -hmm. much. Um, so, I'm going to do, um, hopefully, Jeremiah and Lisa didn't, uh, I'm going to do the melon heads, um, which there is some kind of debate amongst my group of friends on if we could even consider it a cryptid, because if we know what it is, um, but anyway, the uh, melon heads, there's a bunch of different origins of the melon heads, um, mainly in Ohio, Connecticut, and... Um, you know, other states, somebody fill me in here, um, Michigan there. And, um, there's also some reports in England of just these childlike creatures with huge melon like heads and all, all the different origins. Um, you know, one of the most common ones is they were under the care of a doctor who experimented on them and their heads grew. Um, and then they retreated, you know, killed them and retreated to the woods. Um, and that was, and then they live in there. And then there's other origins of they just have birth defects, different diseases. But the most common thing, the thing I find interesting is they always seem to be living in the woods. If they see people, they kill them and eat them. Um, which, you know, it's when you think of kind of modern 
folklore what we watch all the time i don't know if anybody's into dungeons and dragons or lord of the rings but it just reminds me of goblins and they're in their caves with their spears somebody comes in they just you know attack them and take them to their leader um but that i don't really have a detailed rundown some of you are really bringing great like jeremiah said presentations it's really awesome in here but that's what i have on the melon heads it's really kind of a fun folklore thing in those areas so who knows what they really are they could be anything in my opinion but yeah thanks for listening and I will choose, um, looks like we had a couple of cool people join in, but I'll choose Sarah. I'm going to talk about the Tokolosh, which is a South African cryptid. It is a two foot tall dwarf gremlin like creature that's covered in hair. It's like a, yeah. Um, it also rides a, an iguana to get away. So they are like a water spirit sprite type of creature um, that causes general mischief. Um, they can only be seen by children. Uh, adults cannot see them, which is why they tend to do most of their mischief toward adults. Um, they are said to be controlled by witches because they have all this hair and the witches will trim the hair around their eyes. The other way to get on their good side is to feed them curdled milk. This is my upsetting cryptid. I hope everybody enjoyed it very much. And I didn't introduce myself properly. I'm the curator of the American Snally Gaster Museum. No tokoloshes allowed. Thank you, Sarah. Um, I'm going to pass the mic to Kenzie. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Kenzie. I host the Crypto Chats podcast. Um, I'm going to talk to you guys about Brunies, which are a Scottish, uh, a creature from Scottish lore. Um, the word is spelled like brownies, like the dessert, but it's pronounced brownies. And um, so they are these like small, like goblin-like creatures. Um, they have really big eyes, pointy ears, long fingers, and they're always um, kind of fluffy looking and uh, often just like various shades of earth tones. Um, and basically they're little house elves. And their whole thing is that they like to clean your house um, and if you leave offerings for them of like milk um, or honey or cake anything kind of sweet like that they will clean your house for you um, which is really nice I think that's very sweet of them um, the only thing is they hate cats and will not clean your house if you have a cat they won't even go near your house because uh, they just do not really mess with cats which I think is fair I guess I don't know um, they also are not always super nice and sweet, and they have a tendency to uh, prank and, like, mess with people, specifically liars. They really don't like liars, um, and they have been known to kind of, like, steal people's things and kind of, like, just, like, trash their house if you get on their bad side. Um, they mainly live in people's sheds, basements, or attics. And they only ever come out at night because they don't really like to be seen. So you'll go to bed and your house will be a disaster and you'll wake up and your house will be nice and clean. And you can go and thank your uh, Bruni for that. And uh, the last thing that I'm going to say is that if you ever encounter a Bruni, do not call them a fairy. Uh, they really hate being called fairies and they will cause you physical harm if you, you refer to them that way. And that is what I have for you guys on Brunies. And I'm going to pass it to 
I'm going to give it to Jeff. Oh, wait, one second, Kenzie. I have a question. Do fairies and Brunies have, like, beef with each other? Like, do they fight? Not that I know of. I just think that they just don't really want to be, like, lumped in with the fairies, I guess. It's like they just, like, don't like it. And I think, like, that's kind of fair because I bet people for a while probably referred to them as fairies because they didn't really know what they were. And I'm sure they're kind of just, like, tired of it. And we're like, no, please stop. Right on. Okay. Thank you. Can everyone hear me okay? Sounds great, Jeff. All right, awesome. Uh, so, hi, I'm uh, Jeff. I run the I'm the host of the Strangeology podcast. Um, I also uh, have a YouTube channel, uh, Instagram, uh, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, I'm all over the place. Uh, but uh, so today I'm going to talk about uh, the Duende. Um, so the Duende are kind of like the typical, you know, folkloric uh, fairy type being, uh, and duendes find their origins uh, over across the pond in the Iberian Peninsula um, in Spain and Portugal, and so they're kind of like the little people beings that are likened uh, a lot to uh, goblins or elves or leprechauns, uh, you know, some kind of fey folk type being. Um, as far as their, their physical uh, uh, characteristics, they are said to be uh, between two and four feet tall. Uh, one interesting characteristic uh, is that they don't have thumbs and they wear clothing made from animal hides. Um, they also wear big red hats and they like to whistle. So basically, uh, if you know the old cartoon, David the Gnome, that's kind of what a duende looks like. Oh, and they also, I, I guess, are they, they're said to have beards too. <laughs> uh, so um, stories of uh, these creatures were um, brought over to the New World, um, to Latin America, as well as the Philippines and Guam, um, during the um, Spanish and Portuguese coloniz uh, colonization of uh, Central and South America and elsewhere in the world. And legends of these diminutive beings melded in with uh, indigenous people's own folklore and traditions. So depending on where you are in the world, uh, the duendes seem to exhibit different behaviors. Um, and as far as where they live, um, it's either they live deep within forests, typically within a cave type of setting, uh, but, but they are also said to uh, live in the walls of homes and particularly in uh, the walls that are around children's rooms, which is, uh, you know, a little bit concerning, <laughs> depending on what kind of personality the Duende has. Um, so in, in some places, uh, they're helpful and you, you read stories that they, uh, they'll help lost hikers and children or even animals if they're lost in the wilderness somewhere. Um, and it was, it was funny because when I was doing my research on this, I, I've researched the Pukwudgie as well. And that's, uh, you know, almost an identical connection there. Um, and as well as that, they can sometimes be uh, mischievous and trickster-like. And then 
other times they can also be more malevolent. Uh, an example of that is that uh, duendes that are living in the walls around children's rooms have uh, there's stories of them that they come out in the middle of the night to cut the, the uh, thumbnails off of unkempt children. Uh, but often they wind up just taking the whole, whole thumb off. Uh, I'm not sure if that's, you know, some kind of thing with the, the Duende's lack of, of thumbs. <laughs> uh, so, uh, and then in Belize and Guam, there's stories that uh, Duende's like straight up kidnap kids. Uh, and one fun fact that I was reading, not that, you know, uh, kidnapped children is a fun topic to talk about, uh, is... Uh, uh, the thing that a kid can do to protect themselves apparently is to hide their thumbs in the palms of their hands. And this action confuses the a duende and will trick it into thinking uh, that this child is one of its own kind and they'll leave it alone. And, you know, a lot of the these, these stories kind of, you know, seems like maybe this these are just you know fairy tales to to scare children into being good like there's there's stories that mothers will warn children before putting them to bed for the night that if you're not careful uh the duende will take you away at the right moment in the middle of the night and you know cart you off to their cave in the forest and uh you'll be so far away from everything that no one will hear you hear your screams um so you know it's it, that definitely to me sounds like like it, it's you know a a tale to scare children into being good and to not like you know go outside in the middle of the night and get up to some mischief <laughs> um but interestingly some people do believe that duendes are um more than just uh, a folktale and that they are an actual cryptid like being um in belize there um the people there have a similarly named short humanoid creature it's literally called a duende but it's it's spelled differently and pronounced differently than duende <laughs> um, and these creatures have heavy shoulders long arms brown hair flat yellow faces um, and also have a long head of hair that goes down their back. Um, and it seems though that, you know, there's, there's been uh, some zoologists that have had some interesting sightings like of these kind of creatures just hanging out at the end of, or at the edge of the forest, go, like going out into the jungle. But it seems most people think the rational common explanation for, for, these kinds of sightings is that they might be um, like a spider monkey or a howler monkey, uh, which are common in that part of the world. Um, and interestingly, uh, the ancient Mayans also, they had a uh, belief in a diminutive uh, deity that sounds a really similar to descriptions of a, a duende. And it also apparently wore a small red hat. <laughs> Um, so, you know, that's pretty similar to, uh, you know, the Spanish and Portuguese, uh, originations of the tale, which is, which is pretty interesting. And, you know, much like the others, it's also seen as either a, a good or bad, uh, type of spirit. Um, and as far as 
actual reported encounters, I just wanted to mention this real quick before I wrap up, um, is that uh, a while back, I was collecting stories from people who follow my Instagram, and I was doing this kind of like uh, semi-regular thing on Saturdays of, you know, publishing follower stories. And there was this one guy who lives in a border town, um, I believe it was in Texas, and he claimed that uh, his friends and him had a, an encounter with a, uh, a duende and a being called a Lachuza one night while they were hanging out and partying and apparently they were they had gone outside and they saw this like huge owl out in a tree uh which according to according to him he believed it was a lechuza which is um a large um well it's a a uh, a witch that takes the form of a large owl um which is kind of popular in mexican folklore apparently this thing it was spotted outside and then it like flew into their house like really fast and everyone's freaking out. And then like amid the chaos, um, he saw this like elf, typical elf gnome type creature with a pointy hat, like peek around from the back of their couch in their living room. And then it just like disappeared. Um, so, you know, either they were on drugs or <laughs> like, it, it was, uh, who knows, but that was a pretty wild story that I figured I'd, I'd share. But, um, so that's the, the duende it's, uh, you know, a, a creature, uh, that's known around the world and, uh, yeah, sounds a, a lot of similarities with other stories of little people. So that's my, that's my spiel. <laughs> That's awesome, um, Jeff. I can never watch David the Gnome again. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. Um, let's see who has not gone. Uh, I'm gonna pick uh, Nick. Hey, what's up, everybody? Can uh, you hear me fine? Sounds great, Nick. Awesome. Well, yeah, I just wanted to uh, introduce myself. This is the first time. Uh, I'm hopping on here uh, with you guys, but I run a uh, California creepy pasta. It's basically website um, slash Instagram that uh, kind of covers all the weird and wacky 40 and stories of California. Um, and I basically kind of like go and either investigate them or I'll like, just kind of show you like, this is where uh, an interesting encounter took place, whether that be paranormal, uh, ufological or cryptozoological. Um, so speaking of, I am going to bring a little taste of home, uh, to y'all and, uh, talk about the Fresno Nightcrawler or just the Nightcrawlers. But, um, yeah, the, they really kind of originated and kicked off, um, uh, out here in Fresno. And to me, this, this kind of counts as a little humanoid just because, you know, I think we're all a little familiar. It basically looks like a, a walking pair of pants. Um, but there are some humanoid like features to it. Um, and one of the cool things about this story is that I personally actually got to go to the um, original sighting location, which is kind of um, not really available. I had to do a little bit of detective work and sleuthing to find my way there. Um, so that kind of gives me a little bit of a different perspective. And I was actually able to talk to uh, some of the um, people in the neighborhood uh, about the sighting. Um, and, you know, a lot of times when you do that, that kind of 
very quickly sums up if the story is, you know has legs pun intended or is kind of some bs and uh the majority of the the neighborhood seemed to believe that this was a thing going on and they were all actually pretty pretty afraid of it so uh just kind of uh back up and give you the the history of it um back in 2007 there was a guy named jose that's a pseudonym i'm not really um his, he's never given his his actual identity um but i guess there the, the story goes there were some break-ins going on in the neighborhood uh full disclosure it is a bit of a rough neighborhood uh when i rolled in there um so that that kind of made some sense um so we set up some cctv cameras um and uh set those up uh to kind of look over his yard um and what he captured was something that i think we're all familiar with was just these two little weird looking humanoid creatures just walking across his yard um and from some analysis of uh, a paranormal investigator named Victor Camacho, they look to be about four feet tall. Um, so they're pretty, they're pretty small. I mean, I think a lot of times when we sort of look at the, the images of them or the illustrations, we, we kind of elongate them out, but they're actually pretty tiny if, uh, if we're uh, walking up to them. Um, so they sort of just like walk across his, his yard in a really unnatural weird way um and and basically they're 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 sans any arms there's there's no arms there uh, they're just these really long legs with sort of uh just a little bit of a like a head popping up at the top um and apparently this this really freaked the guy out i, I think a lot of people find them quite lovable and, and cute looking but uh this guy was was uh pretty freaked out um he gave the, the footage to a paranormal investigator named Victor Camacho. He took it to uh, Univision, the Spanish uh, uh, television network. Uh, they kind of did a little bit of a, like a, an investigative special on it. And I think he even took it to like a MUFON symposium uh, where they were the um, mutual UFO uh, network. Um, and they kind of did a little analysis on it. Uh, and it's funny that they took it to MUFON because when I got to that neighborhood uh, and spoke to the locals, um, they all referred to it as the alien. Uh, so it, it's kind of funny. It's one of those cryptids that's like, you know, we, we really don't know where exactly this thing came from. Um, but, you know, the neighborhood had some like tough guys. I kind of came out and I started taking pictures of the lawn so I and then I immediately got like approached by everybody they kind of came up to me and was like what are you doing here uh you there Nick uh oh I, th I think we may have lost Nick I oh, mean that was that's getting pretty good too Any uh, guy, can someone let me know if uh, you guys can hear me? I can hear you. Okay, perfect, perfect. Uh, Nick, buddy, I think I think there might be something uh, with your connection. I'm not able to hear oh, you. Oh, uh-oh. Okay, here we go. I'm back? Perfect, okay. you're good. <laughs> okay. Uh, where, where did uh, I uh, kind of cut off? People were approaching you in the street about okay. being at the house. Okay. I actually, yeah, at some point during that, um, 
during my spill, I, I did get a phone call. So I don't know if that threw it off. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I got approached and, um, you know, everybody seemed to be quite afraid of, of the creature. So, um, you know, that, that sort of validated to me that, you know, there something happened there and everybody was quite aware of it. Um, you know, and, it, and it's been sighted since in uh, Yosemite National Park. And then there's just kind of been like these various sort of sightings that have popped up from here and there. Um, but it's still a pretty mysterious origin there. Um, there's some claims of it being linked to uh, Native American art, but that's basically pretty much been debunked um, as more of like a creepypasta type of deal popping up on the Internet. Um, so that's yeah, that's uh, my little cryptid spiel there about the, the Fresno Nightcrawlers. And uh, yeah. Fantastic. That is really cool how you were able to actually go on uh, location and kind of get deep into it. I, I like that, Nick. That was awesome. Um, Nick, uh, why don't you go ahead? There's actually, I believe, two choices left. Uh, we've got Chris or Tate. And uh, just a reminder, um, to if you can have your mic muted while people are talking that it would be fantastical all right uh go ahead nick uh okay um i remember somebody wanted to go last earlier that was tate that was tate okay so chris thanks nick appreciate it hey everybody good to be back again my name is chris from alien zoo podcast um i got a little tale for you guys uh it's a personal account I haven't really t told this story much, so um, I was hoping to get some help um, to find out what what it is I saw, what this thing is. It was, uh, so I call it the Concord Creeper, okay? So in April in 2017, it was around midnight. I was driving home from work. Um, I was on a series of windy back roads. Uh, there were no streetlights. Just as I hit a sharp curve, all right, a what I thought was a raccoon kind of bounced across the road in front of me. As I caught it with my headlights, I immediately stopped in the middle of the road because it really wasn't like any raccoon I've seen before. Um, I'm from I'm from Massachusetts, from you know I'm I'm from an area with a lot of woods and everything. I like I I know I'm I'm well aware of what a raccoon looks like, you know. Uh, all right, so I only saw it from behind. But what I saw was about two feet tall. It was either reddish brown or dark gray. Again, it was a little difficult to tell. Um, it had a few black stripes on its body, as well as a long striped thin tail. Its body, arms, and legs were thin and lanky. And uh, actually, here's the most interesting thing about that. It was bouncing across the street on its hind legs, uh, similar to... Uh, the motion of a lemur. Now I was pretty baffled and I still kind of am to this day. So upon a little further research, I found out that there is a wealthy family uh, or there was a wealthy family in Concord um, who was, they were known to have a small collection of exotic, anim exotic animals. And this included actually a wallaby. I found out that they had a wallaby. Um, but even though I don't necessarily think I, what I saw was a wallaby, uh, this is the closest culprit that comes to mind. It was just too skinny to be a raccoon. It was very bizarre. Um, 
And the family that supposedly had this small collection of exotic animals, I wasn't able to get that verified, nor was I able to get in contact with the family. Um, I've always wanted to know more. This Conquered Creeper story, this is, this drives me to get more into cryptozoology and find out more about these unknown creatures because still to this day, four years later, I'm not exactly sure what I saw. Um, but it was, it was, man, it looked like an anorexic raccoon on its hind legs. It was very crazy. That's what I have right now. And if you look at the bottom right corner of my profile picture, that is a little cartoon of the Concord Creeper. And, um, I know that's a short story, but that's what I have for you guys this time. Thank you so much. Chris, that is really cool. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing. I've, I've actually kind of always wondered what that, uh that creature was in your photo so that that's a cool story about it um he's the unofficial alien zoo mascot yeah i love it i love it that's cool man yeah, i don't know what to think about that that's pretty cool i mean I, I originally was gonna say what if it was similar to the dover demon but obviously you have that also in your profile picture sitting behind you so that doesn't sound like it i know dover's not that far off from concord but yeah that's that's a pretty interesting story thanks for sharing Absolutely. And, and actually, one other thing, if I can add on to it, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the cryptid, the Boston lemur. Oh, um, go ahead. Uh, so in, 2000, in 2002, uh, north of Boston, Boston in the town of Sherbourne, there's this guy named Andrew Mudge who claimed he saw like this half coyote, half lemur on his property. Um, it's, it, that, it, it's a very strange story, um, but... You know, just to bring this all together, where I saw this Concord Creeper in Concord, Massachusetts, it was only about, tw it is uh, 20 miles from Boston, northwest of Boston. So, I mean, that could be another possibility, but, you know, I really don't know. And it's just, it's just fascinates me. It's been fascinating me forever. It's, 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 it hasn't left my mind, this little character. That's pretty cool, man. I, I love it. You know, being from, uh, uh, Western Mass originally, I can uh, I can attest that we got some weird stuff out there for sure. <laughs> Can't get enough of the weird stuff. Yeah, totally, totally. Well, Tate, my friend, I believe uh, if my list is correct, you are the last one. Tate, He's asleep. Uh-oh, we lost Tate. He's making chicken taquitos. Oh, like, <laughs> is it like, wait, what? Chicken taquitos. Oh, he's back. I honestly think oh, we no, lost Tate. Tate. Oh, man, this is terrible. Uh, Tate, seriously, are you there? Too many PBRs and he oh. passed out, Jeremiah, <laughs> so. <laughs> Not surprised. Well, um, all right. Wait, were you trying to talk to me? Tate, you're fine. <laughs> Did you do that Sorry, on purpose? No, it was no, it was a good explanation. I Bob, I called Bobo earlier, and he called me back. Oh, awesome, dude! Yeah, so totally. Was, How's Bobo doing? He was doing good. He's in uh, Santa Barbara right now. Okay. And I was just talking to him because I had a for that film I'm doing. Mm -hmm. I asked him if I can interview him, so I'm setting something up with that. Okay. And so yeah, so yeah, that's my explanation of why I wasn't on here. Sorry. No sweat, man. That's awesome. Uh, Tate, did you have any uh, 
any stories or tales to share tonight? Um, I sadly know <laughs> I'm so unprepared. I texted you earlier. I was like, I didn't know what to talk about. So I know. I'm just, I'm I'll, just double checking for you. I'll say one word. It's fictional though, but it's okay. one word. All right. Ewoks. <sighs> My mind just got blown, dude. The Ewoks. That's right. I mean, who are you to say they're fictional though? <laughs> <laughs> so true. <laughs> yeah, but no, I I totally agree. I think I think Ewoks are real. Well, I agree. I mean, Ewoks, uh, Wicket the Ewok is is my favorite Star Wars character, as Greg knows. But uh, Joshua, man, I see you're up on the the stage. Uh, thanks for hanging out with us. You're actually going to be the last person to talk tonight. We're talking about uh, our favorite little or lil uh, humanoid cryptid. Uh, if you have anything to add, go right ahead, man, and uh, kind of introduce yourself. Man, that is like one hell of an... Um like eclectic topic choice my friend <laughs> for real <laughs> let me let me let me like peruse through my mental uh you know repertoire of miniature humanoid cryptids all right uh, how about how about just like gnomes all right yeah yeah yeah, I think gnomes are probably like my go-to. I, you know, they still believe in gnomes in Norway. That's awesome. Do you have any uh, facts or anything? Anything that you can share about gnomes or? Uh, they're all men. Okay. Okay. Yeah, all of them. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah, no, and they totally. grow. They grow from spores. Very cool. Very cool. Man, I love it. Yeah, like David the Gnome, man. That's classic cartoon in the 80s or 90s or whenever. But, dude, thank you for, for hanging out with us. Guys, we have had a crazy long episode tonight. I'm going to actually go ahead and stop recording. But, uh, listeners, thanks for hanging out with us. Uh, if you're on Clubhouse, please uh, you know, follow any of the people that were on stage uh, tonight, and then you'll be um, notified when we open up the room Wednesdays, 9.30 p.m. Central Standard Time. Um, every week's a different uh, topic in cryptozoology. You're welcome to join us. Contact one of us if you have an iPhone and you're not on Clubhouse. And we can get you hooked up. But uh, thanks again for uh, listening, guys. I'm going to stop recording this.